Sony are dropping spunk everywhere. Okay, moving on, <laughs> please. Hello and welcome to season two of the most anticipated podcast about films for film geeks, by film geeks that you've ever wanted as we, I, I guess we've gone through our, our season one with a cliffhanger um, <laughs> by giving it a week off and then coming back and I'm back as ever to the film file. I'm Lee Ford. I'm Andy Meekin. And we are uh, here to discuss, well, all things film, all things geekdom. And uh, we're going to be kicking off by an event that I've not watched, but uh, Andy's going to fill us in. In this week's episode, we're going to be taking a deep dive into Christopher Nolan's Inception, which is 10 years old. Have I been sleeping or is this just all a dream? Andy's uh, classic movie that for some reason he's managed to avoid, which is a really long title, but a great T-shirt, uh, is What's Eating Gilbert Grape? And we've got tons and tons of news. Uh, what have you been up to since we spoke last? I'm gathering from uh, the stuff you put up on, on Twitter that you've been reopening a cinema. You've gone into the vaults. I've kind of got this image that it's like kind of like Outbreak. You've got your hazmat suit on. The doors have opened. <laughs> There's been a rise of uh, steam as the, the doors slowly part. And you're there. Those big flashlights that you only get in movies. Is that, is that what it's been like? It was more like um, an Indiana Jones film, to be honest with you, when we first went in there. Giant spiders. Going go into the stock room, there's dust and spiders, and, and then, like, you know, some stock starts exploding. And <laughs> the stock room got so heated while it was locked up, locked off because there was no air conditioning switched on that some cans started exploding. <laughs> I got covered from head to toe in drinks, which meant that I went home smelling like a brewery and trying to convince the wife that I'd not just spent nine hours drinking. And then people on the bus were just giving you money, thinking you're feeling sorry for it. <laughs> yes. Those who follow my online presence know that I took a little bit of a time out from the online activities. It's good to have you back, though. I needed to get my head back in gear. I wasn't in a good place. And also with the build-up to work as well, I needed to be able to focus on me and getting back into a sense of normality. And I've I've took those tentative steps back onto there and I've started interacting a bit. I'm still not going to be doing like any of the movie talk things at the moment. I'm not ready for that kind of like commitment, but I'm dabbling with me Twitter. I'm not touching other social media at this point in time, but I'm getting back to normality and getting back to work is definitely helping. It was great. I was on the morning that we opened the doors for the first time in five months and seeing some of the regular customers coming back in and all wearing their masks and everyone being like really understanding about our new processes and the feedback that we've got from it as well of like people saying, I was unsure going in, but I feel genuinely safe going to watch a film. For those who have not had a chance to get back into uh, into cinema going, what, what are we going to see? What's different? What shall we expect? So we insist on face masks being worn through all the public areas except when in a screen eating food and drinking because it'd be pretty hard to force it through a mask. Uh, there's sanitizing stations scattered around the building, one just as you go in and then every few meters or so there would be another one so that you can keep sanitizing your hands, you can keep yourself clean. The serving of food, it's all like we've channeled the way that people move around the building. So you've got to set barriers that move you to the till. And there's one till to take the order from. 
and then the food is collected from further along the counter because it's prepared by someone else who's not going to be you know interacting and handling the tills and touching screens and things and the bar as well you order the bar products over at what used to be our concessions and then go over and collect it they'll the bar person will get an alert on the till to say two pints and a cup of coffee all of that is to keep a flow going to stop there being like huge queues and congestion so all the staff and team are wearing face masks there's seating in the screens when you book a ticket and we encourage everyone to book online you book a ticket if you book one seat it blocks out two seats either side of you so that no one can sit next to you if you book four seats together you can all sit together and then it would be two seats either side at the end That's of a that good block idea. So it automatically assigns out those gaps so that there's not going to be someone sat right next to you. And as you know, with the leg room in our building, it's 1.5 metres from one row to another anyway. So you've got the social distancing, even if someone sat pretty much in front of you. There's so many other little aspects that have been put in, but all of it is just to, it is to just make it a safe environment, even if it's lost some of that social interactivity environment. For my first shift back, I thought on the Thursday night, I was like, right, I'm going to, re- me, me beard had gone a bit scruffy. So trimmed it, like took it down, like squared it off around the side, made it really neat and tidy. And then I got to work, put my face mask on and looked at myself in the mirror and went, what was the point of that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the experience of coming to the cinema. What have people had a chance to see and what are people going to see uh, in the next couple of weeks? I mean, obviously Tenet comes out this week. So there's that's where the majority of people are going to be coming from. But for our opening weekend, we've done a selection of like more recent films that have only just been released in the past few weeks, like Unhinged, um, 100% Wolf, the animated movie, which no one knew was coming out. Uh, American Pickle, Seth Rogen's HBO special film, got a cinema release in the UK. So a few small under the radar, lower budget films, along with some older classics. We've had the Batman trilogy, um, Nolan's Batman trilogy. We've had Inception playing. We've had Empire Strikes Back. We've had Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Karate Kid, the 1980s version. And how have they gone down? As you can imagine, Empire Strikes Back has done great. And so has The Dark Knight, but Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises, not as great. Mm. Not surprised, actually, with uh, Dark Knight Rises. The classics have brought more people in than the more recent films. Although, bizarrely, one of the busiest films this weekend for us was Trolls. Even though it's been out for goodness knows how long. Turns out some people still wanted to watch it in the cinema. Who'd have thunk it, eh? <laughs> so, yeah, we're hoping to see... I mean, the figures haven't been huge, but they've been slightly better than what we expected them to be. And we're looking forward to seeing how many guests we get coming through for Tenet and New Mutants next weekend as well. We've been calling it that it wouldn't go to Disney+. Plus. Yep, we've been saying it, because we're the, we're, we're the show that predicts things and gets so many things right, but we never predicted we'd last a year. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true with our season one cliffhanger it's great being back at work it's great being back in the, that environment and having that little bit of extra social interactivity with the team and with some of the customers even if it is like stood a meter and a half away at least from them it's great to get into a different headspace and it is helping a lot you don't realize how much you do you rely on work to keep you sane oh absolutely for, for those of us going insane at the moment um uh yeah i can i can totally appreciate that i will be in very shortly to either see Tenant and New Mutants. I'm looking forward to it. Then I can start getting back into film reviews and uh, um, we're going to kick off our film reviews next week with with Tenant. And, and possibly New Mutants as well. So in these isolating days uh, where 
Comic Con was done online and the big corporations kind of realized that they don't need to have a Comic Con anymore. They can run their own. And DC really, really jumped on it. Disney had been doing it with, uh, with their line, but DC jumped on it in a big way with the DC fandom, which was an event over a couple of days, which premiered a lot of hotly anticipated uh, DC movies and lots and lots of DC news. I've still yet to watch it, but Andy Meekin, our reporter on the screen, was there to cover this actually quite a, a, an awesome event from everything I know. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, it's it grew so huge that they've split it into two events. So what we had this weekend was 24 hours of stuff, mostly focusing on the cinematic aspect. Whereas at the second weekend of September, they're going to do the other side of it, which will have a lot more on the comic books aspect, the animations aspect, and some more of the TV stuff. So they've split it because they realized that giving people 24 hours to sit and plan them, even though they're repeating a few of the things, it would have been pretty much impossible for people to catch everything that they wanted to catch. So, so that the fans can really like schedule their lives around it, they've split it into two parts. And this weekend, I know that I get a lot of flack from people who think that I'm a Marvel fanboy because of my very vocal comments on the DCEU so far. And people are always, oh, well, you, you obviously love Marvel more, than blah, 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 blah. But this, my, my response to this will be testament to how much I just love comics, how much I love comic book movies, and how excited I can be for a good comic book movie. So we'll break it down as to, to what I've seen so far uh, that they've showed. Um, Wonder Woman 1984, brand new trailer. The, the Wonder Woman 84 trailer, I mean, the effects work still look a bit dodgy, and considering this is a film that was supposed to have already be finished and released, it's not going to get cleaned up, is it? Uh, Cheetah looks very much like she's just escaped from the cast of Cats. But the difference here is that, you know, Wonder Woman looks fun. Oh, it does. It's bright and colourful. You're starting to get a, an idea of what the plot is, uh, that it centres around Maxwell Lord, who you remember from yep. the Justice League uh, reboot back in the uh, back in the 80s. It had a sense of, uh, of dynamism. Um, it was clearly... It was a, had a and I, you know, I use this not in any derogatory or, or political sense. There was a, 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 a strong feminist streak to it. It looked it looked good. We got an, an idea how uh, Steve Trevor is coming back into the story. I thought I thought yeah. it looked great. Agree with you on the effects, but then again, I watched Black Panther again just a few days ago, and, and even though it's a, a fantastic movie, some of the effects work still looked a little bit a, a bit rubbery towards the end. The final act of um, Black Panther is a mess effects-wise, but you don't care because you're invested in the film. The by strength that of the story. That's why I don't care too much if effects look a bit cheap. I mean, even Aquaman. I mean, you know how much I loved Aquaman. And you know how much I didn't. It's so much comic book fun. And the effects aren't great at quite a few points in it, but I embraced it because I was enjoying the ride. And I'm, I'm expecting Absolutely. the same with Wonder Woman 84. It looks tonally what I want from a Wonder Woman film. I'm hyped for it. It's it's as far. I mean, it looks like it's as far removed from the dreariness and the like, the the darker palette of the DCEU in the few years ago as could be. I'm glad we've moved on from that. That's Wonder Woman. Another one which is um, carrying over from the DCEU so far is the Flash. Okay, I don't know much about this apart from uh, the the big casting news. We we talked about the casting news of Michael Keaton joining it as the original Batman. 
yeah. we know it's a take on Flashpoint. Andy Muschietti, who did it, is on board as director. And Great then they dropped a huge piece of casting news. Uh, and I think which is at the heart of what the, the new line of DC is all about, and what they've discovered, is that Ben Affleck is back as Batman. He's spoken in depth about how being forced into the centre frame and being the linchpin of the DCEU is part of what broke him. But with this, it's a small little cameo. It's a, it's a small role within the framework. And he's happy to return to the role to step in and step out so he can take care of himself, but also still represent this character that he really wanted to play and didn't realise you know, how much burden and pressure there would be on it. So it's great that he's going to be in there. I mean, the multiverse aspect, which the DC fandom spoke about in great detail, because all the films going forward are going to focus on multiverse, and Flashpoint is basically the, the start of like really sowing the seeds of the, the multiverse. So, so let's talk about very briefly because we could we could spend an entire episode on this. So when when Marvel started, they started with Iron Man and they let everything unfold. The connections were made with each movie to originally to build to the Avengers. So what DC did is they tried to emulate that and, and it proved to be less than successful. It was, it was confusing. It was all tonally the same. It didn't meet the expectation that everybody wanted. But what they seem to have discovered, and much to, the, to, their, to their credit, something they had in place right from the get-go, which is that they had a multiverse. DC Comics have always yeah. had the Earth 1s, Earth 2s, Earth Primes, etc., etc., as part of their storytelling, uh, and it worked really well in the comics for, for generations. You had the uh, the Justice Society still operating in comics, even though they were based in World War Two, and then you'd have the crossover with with uh, the JLA, uh, and everything worked. And it seems as though they've grasped that wholeheartedly and said, "This is what we're going to do with our movies. We're not going to ignore the fact that there are potentially four Batman's out there." They all exist within their own their own universe. So let's, with this Flash movie and, and going forward, let's embrace that. Is that yeah. your take on it, Andy? That's definitely it. I mean, that basically sums up the whole multiverse panel that they did where they were talking about it. It's all about letting the creators have the creative vision without the burden of having to emulate the film that came before. They can all be their own thing because the multiverse allows that feel. And, you know, the TV shows have been doing this for a while. And interestingly, the Flash from the movies popped up in the Flash TV show during their multiverse crossover. And a little tidbit of knowledge was revealed this weekend that people hadn't really picked up on. The Flash on film had never been referred to as the Flash. He didn't have a name. He was just known as Barry Allen. It's only after he's met Grant Gustin's Flash on the TV crossover that he gets the name The Flash because Grant Gustin's um, version refers to himself as the flash and you can see when you watch that scene again now his eyes light up as he's suddenly like oh wow what a great name and that's where he gets the name from Fantastic. i love that. i think that's a great touch that's something that they've sewed in without people even noticing and they, they confirmed it on the panel this week uh, with the flash the next flash movie the flash is getting a new costume designed by batman but which one hasn't been clarified the concept pick though for it there's two concept picks out there it looks very stylized like the comic book, you know, the very sleek with the like little um, yellow lines embedded into it. So it's none of this like half transformed dodgy transformer that the DCEU has had so far. 
And the image of Batman in the background looks very much like Keaton's Batman, which kind of makes sense for that sleek design because it looks very similar to the Tim Burton kind of design ethic. Excellent. So that's the Flash. I mean, I am so excited for the Flash. I'm not a lover of Ezra Miller, but it might be because he wasn't handled by the right people so far. So I'm willing that because of the storyline, because I do love the character, I'm willing to approach this with some optimism. And the more that I'm hearing about it, and like I've said, great director. So next up was the Suicide Squad, which I know got you uh, got you very excited by the stuff you put on social media. Uh, James Gunn, fresh off Guardians of the Galaxy, brings his style and his uh, his sense of humour, and, and just James Gunnness to the Suicide Squad again. You know, from from the original DC Universe uh, movies. Um, this is this looks, and I'm going to use a word if there's anybody in the car listening to this with with their kids. Um, cover their ears now. This looks batshit crazy in a fun way. It's been described as a, a 70s era war film with a lot of fun. And in the reveal, this was the first time that it was confirmed who everyone is playing in the film. There's a few names that haven't been mentioned yet. We still don't know what Taika Waititi's part is going to be, but everyone's speculating he's going to be King Shark. In, the, in this roll call, the only one they didn't um, they didn't recognise is... Yep. And on the poster designs that they've done for each of the characters, that's the only one that is only referred to as King Shark. All the others have, like, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. So the returning cast, Margot Robbie, Jai Courtney, Joel Kinnaman, Vi Viola Davis, Harley Quinn, Captain Boomerang, Rick Flagg, Amanda Waller. We've already seen them. We know who they are. We don't need introductions. New cast, John Cena as Peacemaker, who has described, it, described the character as a douchey Captain America, which I think is perfect. <laughs> Pete Davidson as Blackguard. Michael Rooker, who pops up in James Gunn's films, left, right and centre. He's playing Savant. Sean Gunn, brother of um, James Gunn. This time gets to stand on his hind legs, although once again he's playing a creature. He's playing Weasel. Idris Elba is Bloodsport. Peter Capaldi is the Thinker. David, and this is where I struggle with the surname, Dast Malchion. Why not? As Polka Dot Man. Daniela Mel Melchior as Ratcatcher 2. Flula Borg as Javelin. Nathan Fillion as TDK, the detachable kid, Mei Ling as Mongol, and Alice Braga as Sulsoria. Man, what a lineup! And you know that half of them at least are going to die after five minutes because that's the Suicide Squad. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what the Suicide Squad comics were about. Not everybody made it, let alone through an issue, through a particular run. It looks fun. It, it looks like it's taken everything that was wrong with the Suicide Squad the first time round and made it fun and this idea and the suicide squad was like that right down to the to the um, to the new logo is it's the dirty dozen it's the yeah. comic book dirty dozen and they seem to embrace that so like any good uh men in action men on a mission movie not everyone's going to make it so that looked, looked incredible fun there's a behind the scenes trailer video out there um on the official channels to go and watch and that gives you an idea of what kind of thing to expect as well as gives you a look at some of the costumes and Harley Quinn's costume looks very Arkham Asylum. It's, yes, that, that. it's that leather, um, crimson and black full bodysuit costume. And I'm, I'm, I'm in. I was completely in on this film and I am so looking forward to it. This is my hottest expectation. So I'm going to do a quick roundup on the next couple. So um, I'm going to mention Shazam. It's got a, uh, it's got a title. production and a title. Fury of the Gods is the title. Okay. Well, linked to Shazam, you've got Black Adam, which we've spoken about before, but The Rock did a Q&A 
which okay. went some way to help build excitement for the approach that they're doing. They're taking the approach of like it's an ancient slave turned super being from ancient times who fights for what he believes is justice, only it's a misguided manner which puts him at odds with morality. So if you think Punisher with powers. And they put up uh, an image of, uh, of the concept design for that. There's a load of concept art in a like concept art trailer of it so you can get an idea of what it's going to look like and you'll be pairing up with the justice society of america such as atom smasher dr fate and cyclone okay we've got an aquaman sequel we have indeed uh, james one says the sequel will be a little more serious and relevant to the world we're living in today what he means by this is still unsure but i speculate that oceanic pollution may crop up i do want it to remain comic booky i don't want it to become gritty and serious because i think that we're, we're past that now yeah I'm, I'm glad he's staying around to direct it in the next direction he did well you don't agree with me but i think he did a great job on aquaman and i'm interested to see what he does going forwards dc considering a static shock movie yeah um static shock another one i mean what's interesting is how dc are actually starting to latch on to these lesser known characters that we've been saying since man of steel came out it's like i hope they don't just resort to batman and superman all the time yeah they should use their whole pantheon of characters and, and static shock's an important character and I can't yeah. believe that, that um, the Belanti universe never used it. That's one that uh, no one expected. And it, when the news dropped, it was like, okay, wow, thanks. Uh, but I know we said, like, you know, they don't have to rely on Batman and Superman all the time, but we have to talk about the Batman trailer. Yes. Now, this landed with actually across the, across the board, not as much fanfare as, as I thought it would. And uh, I woke up to it yesterday morning and clicked on it straight away. Before I say what I think, uh, let me know your thoughts on it, Andy. I know a lot of people are like falling over themselves saying, yes, best Batman ever. For me, it was more of reassurance that it was going to tackle Batman in a way that the character deserves. It's dark Gotham. It's brutal and Nolan-esque, but it's got that edge of comic book fantastical elements included. It looks like Seven with superheroes. My thoughts entirely. And it's given me confidence that not only is Matt Reeves the right choice as director, but also Robert Patterson is going to bring a unique but grounded approach to a character that we're so familiar with from so many different ver variations, but his variation is going to have his own little nuances. Filming on this is going to resume in September, but from what I've seen in that trailer, this is this, that has whet my appetite and made me really, really optimistic about this whole series. Not only that, but the fact that this is set in a different part of the multiverse, and Walter Hamada has said that Matt Reeves can play with this world how he wants. He can grow it and build it with spin-offs like the Gotham TV series that he's going to be working on or any spin-off movies in whatever manner he wants. So this what, is exciting. We, what we did learn is that this is basically Batman year two. Yes. Uh, Batman's already been around. Uh, he's, he's kind of feared not only by uh, villains, but also by the people of Gotham themselves at this stage. I liked the look of it. Now, I, I did read something interesting and that stayed with me. Take Batman out of it and it could be seven. Yeah. It did have a, a, a 70s throwback feel to it. It felt a lot like like a 70s looking taxi driver, for instance, was came to mind with, with the way yeah. that they were portraying Gotham City. I hope, and and one thing I took away from this, which I'm, I'm, I, I've got the, the right feel for, is that the, the one thing that, for me, the way Batman's been portrayed so far on screen is he's not dynamic enough as a character. He's, he's too much in the shadows, 
Uh, Batman Begins was close. You've not seen Batman do a fight scene properly yet. Closest has been Batman versus Superman. The warehouse takedown the scene warehouse in take Batman down. versus Superman is possibly the most comic book accurate. And exploring this idea of Batman being the detective, which which I kind of got that vibe from from this. You know, the, the series of clues that have been been left around Gotham City from that trailer. So I'm very excited. I like Matt Reeves, like everything he's done so far. I, I think he makes some interesting but unusual choices. The way he went with uh, with the Planet of the Apes franchise yeah. wasn't what we expected and became much uh slightly and, and i mean this i mean this in a nice way slightly more mundane than, than how i thought it would go for for a movie called war on the planet of the apes it was basically uh, a bridge over the river kwai but he does make interesting artistic challenging ideas what he did with, with let me in even cloverfield so i'm very excited because i, I do like matt reese's take on things an awful lot uh as ever it's a trailer so you know, the jury's out until we see a movie. Jeffrey Wright looks so perfectly positioned as Gordon. Yeah, yeah. It should be the heart of the film. Gordon should always be the heart of, of, of any Batman Batman film. When he's not, that's when I think Batman is at his weakest as a character. He needs a Jim Gordon character. Worked really well in, in the Nolan take. You know, again, Jim Gordon being the heart of, uh, heart of Gotham. So that's that, those, were the, those were the big takeaways. The other big takeaway was the uh, announced by Zack Snyder uh, that HBO Max is going to release um, the Snyder Cut as a four-hour take. Now, I, I'm confused on, on this, this one, Andy. You might be able to clarify for me. Is it four one-hour episodes, or is it a four-hour movie, or is it a, a couple of hours here and a couple of hours there, two, um, two movies, basically? What, what are we taking away from Zack Snyder before... I'm, I'm going to let you off the leash, or the bat leash. For <laughs> so if you if if we cast our mind back to when this uh, Justice League Zack Snyder edition was first announced, and I I recall there was a discussion around it about it being around four hours, likely split into one hour episodes, but also with the option to watch it in one go. Well, Zack Snyder's basically just said exactly what everyone already knew. It's going to be four one-hour episodes, but he's also looking at a way to put it together as one showing for like people who want to see it in one sitting, uh, whether that gets a minimal, like minor cinema release or a subscription on a service just to watch a movie. Unsure. Uh, international release, because we don't get HBO Max in this country and many other countries, is being worked out kind of like everyone already knew. What? International distribution is going to be. We don't know whether it's going to be Sky Atlantic over here. We don't know whether it's going to get an Apple release internationally. All that's getting ironed out. And no doubt there'll be news of that once we get into next year. There wasn't really anything that was a huge news thing from what Zack Snyder spent his 25 minutes on. Instead, all that we got from his whole showcase was a trailer of footage that looks great in slow motion, but looks kind of similar to what we've already seen either in the previous film or in the previous trailers or from his posting of images online over the past couple of years. And we got him having his ego stoked by a couple of fans, which really left a bitter taste in mine and quite a lot of other people's mouths online. He genuinely got two of the Snyder Cut, Snyder Cut movement people to do web chats with him individually, with him asking them questions about why they started this movement knowing that the answer would be because we love you zach you're marvelous 
And just watching him sat there with a big grin on his face as they're worshipping him, it just, I, I felt like I don't, I don't need this. I don't want this. Why, why would anyone be interested in seeing you get your ego stoked? People wanted information about the film. People wanted to go details. He promised big reveals. There was nothing a big reveal here. What I did like about it, and I've, I've not watched the piece, I've only read reviews on, on, on the webinar basically put together. I, th- I thought it looked great. I mean, there's one thing you can always give Zack Snyder credit for. He knows how to frame a shot. He knows how to shoot a scene. Yeah. It I mean, it's always... one of the things that makes Watchmen work so well is it looks framed like a comic book. It always looks... His, his work always looks impressive. He's got a great, great artistic eye. He's a commercials director, and, and that always plays in. I was trying to work out what footage I'd seen before in the, uh, in the Joss Whedon cut. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't work it out. There seemed to be an awful lot of, of new footage, and I didn't see anything that was recognisable from before. Then maybe that was just me. I wasn't in love with with Justice League, and I really disliked immensely Batman versus uh, Superman. Uh, yeah. I thought again, it looked great, but it had it had sort of zero uh, zero emotional impact, and um, the storyline was all over the place. At four hours. It seems a, an awful amount of time to, to spend uh, with those characters if the story's not there. Yeah. It feels o- overly padded at four hours. I don't think any movie should be four hours. Uh, and it's, so, so therefore, that equated to me of just being indulgent. Let the guy do whatever he wants and we'll be all be happy. It's, or we'll come down to it at the end of the day. Is it a good movie? Will it actually work better in one-hour sittings? Because... By the end of Batman versus Superman, and I've not seen the the director's cut on it. I, I was exhausted, and my ears and eyes hurt, and and I was just gravely disappointed. As I was gravely disappointed with yeah. Man of Steel, which I still think is the best out of the films that, that he produced so far, yeah. but I, I didn't like the majority of the film. So I'm, I'm I'll go into this open minded. Um, I thought the trailer looked great. If it's a good film, fantastic then everything he said is right. If it's just another another extension of the films that he's made previously that, that are hollow, um, don't say anything, then that kind of rests my case on it. What's interesting with regards to Zack Snyder's Justice League is that it was clear watching all the footage of everything this weekend that Warners and DC have released that they are so far removed from that vision now that this getting released next year on HBO Max or whatever it gets internationally is just, it's to put closure to that era. Yeah. It is not going to set up any future films. This is just to give it closure because all the franchise has moved on in so many different directions that they can't revert back to this look, this style, this feel. It's to give Zach his final, final rest in place before it's like, right, move on now. Go and play with your zombie films or whatever. Get back to what you used to do good. Because I'm still looking forward to his zombie film, but I'm not liking the man as a person. I do not like his attitude. I don't like his arrogance. And I don't like it when he tweets out saying that he makes he's making comic book movies for grown-ups. So you're not in the demographic if you don't like a trailer that he made. Really? Yeah. Grow up, mate. Never attack your Grow audience up. if you don't get your films. He he attacked a critic who watched, watched the trailer and went, I'm not feeling it. Uh, and gave an instant opinion before he actually got round to writing out his full breakdown of what he's looking forward to about it. And 
the full breakdown he's saying the trailer didn't really sell it and there's a few things that didn't quite work but i'm intrigued and interested but zach wasn't bothered with that it's like you like your saturday morning cartoons well this is like this is for grown-ups really that's where you're going don't like i don't like his arrogance and I, I don't think this whole campaign to get him his own cut has helped because it's he's given him this feeling that he's untouchable overall were we happy with the dc fandom event oh yes i mean it, there's a bit of taste in the mouth because with all the layoffs that they've been doing recently, the Fandome event was already booked in. It was going to take place anyway. And then the layoffs after the merger that we spoke about on the last episode started happening. And you can't help but think that this showcases a bright future for Warners and DC and like, they're going to make bags of money and it's marvellous. But when you know someone who's personally lost their job during all the layoffs, it's like a kick in the teeth for a friend. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I really feel sorry for my friend who was really enthusiastic about the future of DC films and always enthusiastic about promoting them. Even when she knew I didn't like them, she would love to promote them. And she's lost her job over this. And I, I can't help feeling a little sad for that. Whilst also, I'm, don't get me wrong, I am psyched as anything to see more comic book stuff on the big screen. Comic book stuff from DC that isn't Batman and Superman. We get to see minor characters given their time to shine because that's where marvel got it right they picked their b-list characters and showcased them dc can finally do that this is a great time to be a comic book fan we said this many times before that if this had a bit if all this stuff had been happening when we were 10 years old we'd have exploded oh absolutely absolutely i am envious about kids these days who grow up in this world yeah it, it's, they take it so much for granted the one thing we didn't mention is uh, with matt reeves as batman is that they're looking at doing uh, a HBO series, which we mentioned before, which, uh, according to the notes that I've read, will encapsulate some of that Batman year one element. As I say, we're yeah. coming in at year two. So interesting times that we're living in. Very excited to see it. And on, on, on what I've seen so far, very, very impressive. So that's the DC uh, fandom. What have we got coming up elsewhere? What news do you have for us, Andy? Well, if we stick with Warner Brothers for a second, because we, we we can't go through the news without mentioning Tenet. So, <laughs> no, it's been only been now six months of mentioning Tenet. Word has been released about the terms that Warner Brothers have put on cinemas who wish to show the film. So, they've asked for a sixty-three percent cut to the box office, which isn't isn't unheard of. I mean, you know, Lucas famously tried to get ninety percent of the box office on his uh, prequels. 63, 63 sounds about right for the first couple of weeks, usually. However, there's other stipulations down to how big the cinema is. So single screen cinemas will have to show the film for a minimum of four weeks. Two screen cinemas have to show it for at least five weeks. A cinema that has three to eight screens has to have it running for eight weeks on a large screen. Wow. And if you've got, if you've got nine or more screens, it has to be a minimum of 12 weeks on one of the larger screens. Now, the positives of this is that Warners are committed to the cinematic release and don't want to rush it to home release early. They see the importance of cinema. But 12 weeks on one of your larger screens, I don't care what film it is, 12 weeks is a bit much for a single film to occupy a large screen. Even record-breaking films such as Avengers Endgame were comfortable in a small screen after week five. This pushes Tenet to still occupy large screens in some cinemas when films such as Wonder Woman 84 and Bond will be out, not to mention Candyman, Death on the Nile, Black Widow. This is Warner's basically saying, we, we, we want to save cinema, So, but in order to do it, you've got to obey us and 
critical our way, basically. other films that might come out. So, okay, there have been some reviews uh, floated out there. We're going to do a review next week. This has got a lot pinned on it as being the saviour yeah. of, of cinema at the moment. Let's hope it does. But some of those stipulations do feel a tad draconian, at, at least. We've had it before where, in the past, Disney have stipulated this needs to show on your IMAX screen for four weeks and things like that, like when I was working at Cineworld. And that was like, a, oh, but after week two, it's dropped off and we can't put anything else on. 12 weeks on a larger screen, that's too much. I'm hoping there's going to be some further details in the terms and conditions, which means that if it doesn't perform to like 40% of capacity after this mounts, it can drop down. But it's not a good starting point. On the subject of cinemas reopening and the revival of cinema, now we've mentioned a few, good few times, you know, what is the future of cinema? Is there still going to be an audience for it? Well, IMAX CEO Rich Gelfond isn't worried at all. He's commented that he's sure that a five-month absence won't undo 100 years of industry growth and that blockbusters will still have a home on the screen. And he's put forward the perfect analogy that what, as soon as I read it, it was like, we have to just mention this in the show. I do like this. I do think, I think you're right. It is the perfect analogy. I've never seen it said this way. His quote, just like people have kitchens in their houses, they like going to restaurants. Just because people have a streaming service... I think they're still going to want to go to the movies. And that is perfect. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's it, it sums up what cinema is. Cinema is more than just going to see a film. It's when you go with people, it's it's the way you talk about it, the way that, that you dissect a film. It becomes a social event. Um, I've said many, many times on, on this show when I'm on the radio, horror films and uh, uh, romantic comedies are the best date films because they are an emotional ride. You need to share those with other people. You know, no matter how good a film is, sitting watching it on your own screen, even if it's a, you know you've got the best screen available and the best sound system, you miss out on that social aspect because all it takes is your phone to ring. All it takes is you to go. I need to get up and have a, have a cup of tea or pour myself a drink yeah. to take you out of that. It's, it's, it's a shared experience. Everyone is laughing or horrified together. There is nothing like that. That's why the, the same reason that we go to gigs, it's the same reason that people go to church, is to share something emotive and, and all feel <laughs> something at the same time. Everyone is laughing or horrified together. That sounds like a perfect description of people watching Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all in one. You've got it all in one in, in that. Film. Everyone's laughing or horrified. <laughs> Mostly horrified. <laughs> So we've spoken a lot about Warners, so let's talk a bit about Marvel, or particularly Spunk. Okay, Sony, I'm, I'm confused. Sony Do I need to put universe. out a warning? Oh, okay. <laughs> Kids, don't the listen. Sony, the Sony Marvel mo movie universe that they referred to themselves as Spunk a few months ago, and we had so much fun taking the mickey out of. There's been a good bit of news around this. There's Olivia Wilde is set to direct a Sony Marvel movie. With no confirmation yet as to what character it will, but there's a lot of speculation about around Spider Woman. Although which iteration of this character we don't know. Given her Booksmart background, because Booksmart was a great little team. I just about to say I caught up with Booksmart. I thought it was fantastic. I thought how to take something that that has been been done hundreds and hundreds of times to a degree, and to to breathe something fresh, exciting, new, and charming into into a into a genre that that, that was familiar. Uh, but but done in a, in a way 
uh, and taking it from an angle that, that made it feel fresh. And I thought the direction was super, super confident. I thought she was a great director. See, with, with the background on that and the style that she took to that, I personally prefer her to tackle Spider-Gwen for the yeah, for Spider a big screen release. Silk, uh, but Spider-Woman is, is at least, it's, it's brand recognisable from the get-go yeah. and you don't have to sort of invest time in going, I don't know who this character is. But uh, yeah, it's good to see. I, I'm interested to see whatever she's doing next. Now, this is the second female Spunk film with um, Madam Web. Stop Webb. now, stop. <laughs> with Madam Web already announced, uh, with SJ Clarkson tapped to direct that. And we've also got Black Cat and Silver Sable that were rumoured a while back, but it's gone a little quiet on recently. I imagine we're going to hear a bit more buzz around that going forwards now that things are ramping up again. And on a similar note, Craven the Hunter has been greenlit with J.C. Chanda, who was behind All Is Lost in the Most Violent Year, in talks to direct. Interesting, but I would love to have seen Craven the Hunter be the villain in the next Spider-Man film. There's no reason that he can't be, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing with Craven the Hunter is that, I mean, the, the character, Sergei Kravinov, is a fierce big game hunter who enhances his abilities and always just saw Spider-Man as the ultimate prey to prove his worth. And that's where it kind of came from. And, like, you know, the... the best story with Craven the Hunter has to be Craven's Last Hunt. Oh, it's fantastic. You recently reread it and it's, it's still, it's beautifully told. I go back to it quite frequently and it's such the perfect story because you actually start to, you get a feel for like how he's not necessarily a bad character. He just, he just has this compulsion to prove himself. Uh, Richard Wenk, who wrote The Equalizer, is penning this film. And I have to be careful about saying Richard Wenk. When yes, I, I noticed, and I thought you did it very well. You managed to make it through. <laughs> um, he's penning the film. So that's another one of the villains that they're tapping into. I mean, this joins, this means that we've now got Venom, Morbius, Madam Web, Jackpot, Spider-Verse, Olivia Wilde's untitled project. Things seem to have gone quiet since the announcement of uh, Marvel's new version of Blade. But John Wick director Chas Zaleski has... Uh, said that he would really like to direct the, uh, the the reboot. But yeah, things have gone quiet after that that big announcement Ooh, a couple am, of years ago. I am so in for that. He would be he would be perfect. Yeah, I mean the the blade the kind of action that you had in those Wesley Snipes blade films, he would make even better. Absolutely marvelous choice. Fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to uh, something a bit different, very different. Robert Eggers who gave us the Witch in the Lighthouse. He's officially started production on the Viking revenge film The Northman that he initially started filming back in March. I don't know much about this. I know you're you're a big fan of his. Yeah, he's um, it, the film is set in Iceland in the 10th century, and it's a it's a Viking revenge film, which stars Nicole Kidman, Alexander and Bill Skarsgård, Willem Dafoe, and Anya Taylor Joy. And it's confirmed now that Björk is also going to be part of the cast as a character named the Slav Witch. Not much is known about how the story is going to go, just that it is a Viking film, it is a revenge film, and it will no doubt have lots of gore and splatter and some artistic direction. I'm in. I'm in. And, I mean, Eggers, I've got a lot of love for. I think that his vision on The Witch and the Lighthouse were absolutely marvellous, and he brought out the best in all of his cast. So with that cast lineup, I'm... Um, I'm sold completely. We've got uh, Jamie Foxx is still keen on playing Spawn. I mean, that's that's one of those projects, again, which has been been mooted for years and years and doesn't seem to, to, two decades to, now, to isn't move it? forward any. But with somebody like Jamie Foxx, who's 
he's one of those actors who's always kind of hot, if you know what I mean. He's always he's always bookable because he'll always bring his his, his a game to it. It's a, it's, a, it's a good choice. Fox has been linked to the project since 2018, but with the recent reporting, as we reported a few months ago, that Jason Bloom had hinted that the Spawn film was hot on the radar for production for them. Momentum's building once more, and Fox has commented during promotions for Project Power that he's told Todd McFarlane that he still wants to be in the running. He's still keen on playing that character. So he's chasing the role, which is a very positive thing. Hopefully we'll get to see more news and get to finally see this Spawn movie, which has been in various stages of pre-production, almost as long as New Mutants has been on the process <laughs> of being released. Uh, Train to Busan sequel, Peninsula. Can't wait. Um, set Yon Sang-ho off in such a direction that he now wants to spread out the Busan universe even further. He's got ideas for loads of individual tales within this zombie post-world. Although he might step back and let someone else direct some of the spin-offs, he's got the opportunity to tell individual tales within this framework. Excited because, you know, what we, what we saw with Busan and with the animated prequel. To, I've still not seen Peninsula. I'm looking no, forward looking to seeing forward it. To it. Really looking forward to that. It's on my, my top 10 list of films I'm, I'm gagging for. But it, it is, like, interesting to be able to tell different stories within a zombie epidemic. I mean, World War Z, basically, the book of that does that kind of approach. And we know that you can tell a diff- it doesn't all have to feel the same. It can be very, very different. And, you know, there's a reason why Walking Dead has gone on for 400 seasons now. <laughs> you can always tell a new story of a new group of survivors. I got a bit of news. Go on. I got some news. Uh, Ridley Scott's just finishing up his uh, period drama, The Last Duel. He's turning his eye to his next project, which is going to be known as Gucci. Uh, and he's got a heck of a cast uh, coming together. Uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jared Leto, Jack Houston, uh, Reed Carney are all in talks to join this drama. And Lady Gaga is on board to star as Patricia Rigani, the ex-wife of Maurizio uh, Gucci, the grandson of the fashion designer, who was trying and convicted of orchestrating his assassination on the steps of his office in 1995. So uh, that's hot casting news. What a great cast. Good to see Pacino and De Niro back together. And hopefully something that's, that they can really get their teeth into. Um, the, the writer of the John Wick films, Derek Kolstad, he's adapting a Korean short film for a feature-length adaptation called Time Agent. And the story of this, I mean, this is right up my alley. This is, this is genre through and through. A solitary agent travels to the past to save the future by making very minor alterations to the timeline that will alter one specific event. Oh, in already. He remains in total isolation so as to not accidentally change anything major, but it all starts to fall apart when he accidentally saves the life of a girl who was attempting suicide. You had me on hello. So that, I mean, you know how much I love time travel films and I love like new takes and new approaches to how time can like fall apart. I mean, I mean, the writer of John Wick in this kind of setting, that's it. And uh, let's just round up with um, a little snippet of news that might not actually turn out to be anything except for someone just having fun. Sasha Baron Cohen, who <laughs> is known for his many stunt costumes to trick extreme right fanatics, especially with his most recent Who is America series and the appearance at a rally that he did this year, has been snapped by a passerby in Long Beach, California, dressed as Borat, driving a yellow pickup truck. Is he making a new movie? Is he making a TV special? Or is he just 
pranking people by driving around dressed as Borat. Nobody knows. I, I'm in for another Borat film. In, I, I I'm always, there. I mean, anything that Sasha Baron Cohen does, I'm still surprised how many people still fall for his stuff. Oh, I know. That, that's the thing, isn't it? Especially in this day and age, to do those sort of gotcha TV series now is is, is amazing. And, and uh, he's, he, he's, he still manages to pull it off. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Hopefully, I mean, if it's just a TV special, I'm all up for it. If it ends up being a new movie, yeah, I'm definitely up for it. I've got a lot of love, Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, I love the way that he satirizes and he, he makes people trip over themselves. And that's the news. So if you're a fan of the show, you enjoyed what you've heard so far, then please hit that subscribe button and tell your friends because what we want to do is expand what we're doing. Please leave a review. We enjoy doing this. And if you enjoy listening, then we're going to carry on. We're going to carry on regardless, to be perfectly honest, until we are hunted down like two runners out of Logan's run. But at the moment, we just want to boost what we're doing. So please hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends. And um, we've got some exciting ideas that we're thinking about doing. And we can only do that with your help and your participation. So you can get in touch with us via Twitter at Filmfile UK. Please leave a review. It helps our ego um, immensely. I mean, in these dark days, who doesn't want to have a huge ego? And talking of huge ego, Andy, uh, we're back with <laughs> the films that you have missed. This is a shocking indictment into your film history. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you've missed some real classics. Every week I have been setting Andy uh, from the list that he has provided uh, a film to watch each week and to come back and give it a review. I don't know if we're going to be carrying this on, actually, uh, once we get back into film reviews, because hopefully next week we'll be talking about Tenet and New Mutants. It all depends on how many films there are out each week, because whilst next week we've got the two films to talk about, there might be a dry few weeks. So I think this is something that we'll dip in and out of, because I'm still going to want to work through my list anyway. It's a mammoth list, and the film that Andy missed, I can kind of give you some credit for not seeing this. It wasn't a huge film when it came out back in 1993. It's a, it's a lovely film, but it, it, it's not one of those that really set the, the world on fire. Its director, Lars Hellstrom, was a little bit all over the place at this particular point and, and was a, a, a very highly recognised director, even though he seems to have sort of disappeared over the last few years. And that's the 1993 American drama, What's Eating Gilbert Grape starred Johnny Depp, Juliette Lewis, Darlene Cates, and a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. Andorra's where we are. It's a town where nothing much ever happens. Nothing much ever will. I'm Gilbert. Gilbert Grape. That wasn't nice. What? It's your mother in there. I know. So what do you want to do? There's not so much to do here, really. Think of one thing that people do here. What do you want for you? Just for you. I want to be a good person. Where's your head lately, Gilbert? So, set in small town Indora in Iowa, Gilbert Gray is a busy caring for his uh, his brother Arnie who has uh, who is mentally impaired as they wait for the many tourist trailers to pass through town during the annual 
Airstreamers Club, gathering at a nearby recreational area. Their father had hanged himself 17 years earlier, and since then his mother, Bonnie, has spent most of her days on the couch watching TV and eating to the point where she's become morbidly obese. It's not a film from that description that, that you would think of as being a joyful film, but I think it's a film that is, is, is full of heart and, uh, and full of joy. Andy, tell me what you thought about it and tell me where the story goes from there. With, with you saying that it's, it doesn't sound like it's got heart or joy in there, but you're, you're spot on. It's the story itself it covers personal issues. It's the coping with grief after loss. You've got Gilbert who can't go into the room where the hanging happened. You've got his mother becoming housebound and obese, tackling how others in the community perceive the family and basically sneer at them and like mock the mother. The mother is a joke to the townsfolk because she never leaves the house. And how the pressures are on Gilbert to keep the family going, repairing the house, caring for his mother, watching over Arnie, balancing a low-paid job to feed them. And the joy then comes into it when... Some of the people who are traveling through the commute like area in order to get to camping, one of them breaks down and that's where he meets Becky, Juliet Lewis and her grandmother who are stuck in the town for a week until they get the parts needed to repair it, their car. And he finds a companionship with her that he doesn't get elsewhere, not even from Mary Steenberger's Betty with whom he's having an affair behind her husband's back. And yeah, it's, it's a well-balanced film that there's moments in the film that, are genuinely funny. There's Johnny Depp's portrayal of Gilbert worrying that Mary Steenberger's character's husband has found out about them and desperately needs to talk to him. And that gives a little bit of like a, oh, moments. But primarily, it's a heartfelt exploration of life and responsibility. And it broke me at least three moments of this film. I broke. Oh, it, it's such an emotionally powerful film. And that is thanks largely to the cast. Well, well, Johnny Depp turns in a, a solid performance and everybody who, who kind of now berates Johnny Depp for, and I, I think for, the, for, for Captain Jack Sparrow and, and, and sees him not as so much as an actor with, as a, an actor who's quirky as rather than having an emotional range. They have to see this film because I think he, he's, he's the heart of this film. It's, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's it's a solid performance. As a, it's a not particularly flashy performance, but it's heartfelt and it's solid. The flashy performance. It's a side to Depp that we've not seen for many years. It's a side to him that is largely forgotten. Yeah, and... it's it's a it's a it's a it's a heartfelt role, and it's 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 um it's a subtle it's a subtle portrayal all the way through, isn't it? Oh, absolutely marvelous. But um, for me, DiCaprio absolutely captured me and convinced me in his role as the mentally challenged bro brother Arnie. Well, it's one of those performances which is is for, for, for and let's remember that, that Leonardo DiCaprio was, was very young when he, when he took on this role. It's, it, it's an astonishing performance. It's, it's innocent, there's a spontaneity to it. It's, 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 it's one of those roles where he didn't have any, any baggage of anything else he was bringing into. So you, you, there's a sense of honesty to it. The... It, it, it hit close to home to me that his part because uh, my nephew is mentally challenged. He's yeah, it, and so uh, I've seen him growing into an adult, but still with that childlike mentality. And when I was watching DiCaprio playing this role, I spotted mannerisms. I spotted 
actual perfect representations and i was just, I, I had to research further because i was like how did he get it so right there's things like the 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 hand twitching you know holding the finger up and like twitching near the face there's the walk there's the whole gate to him everything was spot on and reading that he'd spent a good week or so around people who had mental disabilities to get an understanding of how they perceive the world and as he said it's you have to approach the world with that joy that naive joy and everything is just a pleasure and you don't quite understand things and that's how he got it all right and he gets it spot on and it is because of his betrayal that like i say the film broke me it absolutely destroyed me at a few points but in a good way i had tears streaming down my face because it felt so it felt so close and connected to me it, it is it's a, it's a lovely little film i've only ever seen it once it's not a film that i'd ever think about going back and revisiting and that's there's nothing against that it, it's just it's just a, a smart heartfelt film the kind of films that, that Lass Hellstrom used to do really well, My Life as a Dog, for instance, is, is a yeah. beautiful, stunning film. And you can see you can see that as this is a cousin to it. It was considered a box office bomb when it came out, even though with its critical reception was was fantastic, mainly for the performances of, of Johnny Depp, was, as I said before, the heart of the film. Uh, and but for Leonardo DiCaprio's just fantastic performance, the film was nominated for the prestigious Grand Prix of the Belgian Syndicate of Cinema Critics. Uh, and most importantly for DiCaprio, he was nominated, and I think should have won because it is, it, it is an unbelievable performance. He was nominated at the age of nineteen for the Academy Award for for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it is a, a truly fantastic performance. Totally agree. Who did win that year? If you look at the lineup for that year, you had Ray Fiennes was up for Schindler's List, which you know that was strong competition. John Malkovich in the Line of Fire, Pete Postlethwaite, who we absolutely love in the Name of the Father, but the winner was Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. Really? Really? This is when you think, do they get it right at the Oscars? Clearly not. Nothing wrong with his performance, but it's just very Tom. It's not not up against... It's not on scale with any of those four. No. It was one of those, so, let's, let's, let's be nice to Tommy Lee Jones because he's been in the industry for some years. Yeah. There's not a lot more to say about it, but it's just a nice, very well executed, slightly left to centre, wonky look at life with endearing characters brought to you by actors at the top of their game. I think that the realism that it brings into it as well is helped a lot by decisions such as casting Darlene Cates playing Bonnie the mother, who herself had spent five years housebound and had, you know, blown up to obese proportions because she had featured on TV specials, you know, this woman doesn't leave the house kind of thing and like chat shows of like, oh, you know, how do you get yourself into this situation? And it was while she was trying to get her life back in game and lost weight that she was approached to come and play this role. And because she was that person, she played it exactly how her life was. And it gives it, it lends it that absolute believability and credence. It's a, it's a great film. I mean, this, this was a film that Scorsese became aware of DiCaprio through watching, and we know what that led to. And you can tell because... Yeah, it, everyone shines in this film. Depp is on fire. Juliette Lewis is marvellously charming like she was during this era. You, you believe in everyone. You connect with everyone. And you you struggle alongside Gilbert as he tries to keep his family together. 
absolutely marvellous film. I'm really glad that this was one of the two that I had recommended to pick from. Excellent. And I'm, I think I made I think I made a really good choice in picking this one because I think I think I needed this. I think I needed this film to remind me the importance of life. With well, me going I through like a, bit, a, film. a bit of a, a bit of a dark moment. It was good to have a personal journey that I could connect to on quite a few levels to remind me that there's something at the end of it. There's something that you can get through. No matter how bad things can be, there's always something that can be that joy within your world. And you can't recommend a film more than that. Okay, so for next week, I'm going to again take you on a, an emotional journey. We're not going delving too dark, um, but an interesting film with another tour de force performance in it uh, that will that will astound you. And that's Sir Richard Attenborough's Chaplin. We'll see you next week to discuss Chaplin. And I have a great story connected to this, which was kind of life-changing for me. So film for next week, Andy, whether you choose to accept it, which I hope you do, because <laughs> otherwise it's like 10 minutes out of the show we need to film. And that film <laughs> is Chaplin. So the other thing we've been doing over the last few weeks during our, you know, if you would have put this year on, on TripAdvisor, would it even make one star? not recommended. <laughs> we've been looking at deep dives of certain films because we've not had a chance to go out and review. But this week ties into hopefully our, our first review next week, and that's Christopher Nolan's 2010 science fiction action film, Inception. I can access your mind through your dreams. It's called Inception. The seed that we plant in this man's mind make change everything. We should walk away from this. This was not a part of the plan. You're not prepared for this. Directed and written by Christopher Nolan, produced with his wife, Emma Thomas. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio. Now you see what we're doing? We're segueing wonderfully. As yeah, a professional thief who deals information by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets through their dreams. Ensemble cast includes uh, Ken Watanabe, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marianne Coulthard, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Killian uh, Murphy, Tom Berenger, and of course, no Christopher Nolan film would be complete without Michael Caine being in there. Hey, there's also, and we've already mentioned him before, Pete Postlethwaite. Oh, Pete Postlethwaite, yeah, yes, you see the connections already. So for those who find the plot hard to work out, I, I, it always surprised me. Basically, Dominic John Cobb are extractors of information, and they do this by infiltrating their target subconscious, extract information through a shared dream world. And it's kind of a heist movie. It's kind of a Bond movie. And it deals with some of the, the themes that Christopher Nolan expresses in all of his films, which is this, this jumping of time, uh, the un, uneasy use of narrative, the way that, that we, we, couldn't, we cut between different timescales, which is played out in the, in, the, in the film's finale. It's a film I really, really enjoyed for, for the spectacle, uh, and, and it's not necessarily my favourite Christopher Nolan film. It's kind of my go-to Christopher Nolan film. If anything... Yeah. Anything is to, to, to ever identify what Christopher Nolan does, it's this film. It encapsulates his work in a nutshell for me. Has it stood the test of time? And I still can't believe it's 10 years. I remember to the day going to see it. But for you, Andy, has it stood the test of time? 
Well, this is a film that I've actually not seen it since it left the cinemas 10 years ago. Okay. So this was a genuine fresh revisit with a worry that it might not have actually stood up well and maybe after all this time I won't like it. But I needn't have worried because it, it really does stand up well. I was hooked once again from the start and the runtime, which is quite a long runtime, flew by. The whole structure of the story, the layering of dream worlds, the questioning of reality throughout still works. And the ambiguity of that ending still leaves me thinking and trying to piece together how much of what I saw was dream world and how much was real. Yeah, it's not a confusing film, is it? I mean, I remember a lot of it's, critiques. It's a very clever film. Yeah, it's layers upon layers, isn't it? Yeah, it could have been a really confusing film. But we are given the character, Ellen Page's character, as our entry into the mechanics of dream travel. She's the new recruit to the group for the new heist. And even the new heist is like would be overly complicated. But because she's the new recruit, that gives the, it, it's really clever script writing because that gives the exposition. That enables the exposition to feel natural and not feel like it's just put there for the audience. It's her being coached on everything as she's learning how you craft someone's dream in order to, you know, make them believe that it's real before you can get detected as being an impersonator within that arena. It's marvellously layered together. And the cast are just all... I mean, DiCaprio and Joe Gordon-Levitt are always on high form. Oh, yeah. But here, they they just work off each other beautifully. And Tom Hardy... Yeah, I, I, can, look, I can take or leave Tom Hardy. Sometimes he can be really good. Other times he can be Venom. <laughs> and in this, in this, thankfully, Nolan got the best out of him. He uses him so well, and everyone plays their part so perfectly. It's a marvellous cast. It's a marvellous script. Intelligent sci-fi. We love our intelligent sci-fi. We, we, we're, we're partial to the dumbing down occasionally, but we love something that has, has some meat to the bones. And Nolan had been working on this one for over a decade, hadn't he? That's right. Well, he, he started out as an 80-page treatment about dream stealers. And he he originally saw it as a, a Inception as a, as as a, a horror, horror film, but eventually yeah. wrote it as a heist film, which is which is what gives it its, its credence, which, you know, this is the, the film that Nolan said was his Bond film well, until what we think Tenant is. Uh, and when he revisited it, he relied on the idea of the interior state, the idea of dream and memory, and he realised that he needed to raise the emotional stakes. And also, since he came up with that treatment, uh, over the nine or ten years since he'd done it, there'd been films like The Matrix, and you had Dark City and, and 13th Floor. And he, and he says himself, to a certain extent, you had Memento. And they were based on those principles that the world around you is, is, not, what, is, is not what's real. So yep. Nolan pitched this to Warner's in 2001, but he decided he needed more experience in making big budget, larger scale films and embarked on, on Batman Begins and, and Dark Knight. And then he realized that Inception needed to have that large budget, budget because as soon as you start talking about dreams, he said, the potential of the human mind is infinite. And so the scale of the film has to feel infinite. And he'd been wanting to work with DiCaprio for years and met him several times, but able to recruit him for his, uh, for his films until Inception. Uh, and the two work together. And in fact, it's a, it's a pairing. I'd like to see them work together again. But it's a still a strong film. It's not one of those films that feels dated. The fact that he uses a lot of practical effects in it. 
there are moments in the film which are jaw dropping, and I'm thinking the uh, the, the Gordon Levitt's fight scene in the hotel. It has all the qualities that you look for in uh, uh, a Christopher Nolan film. Also suffers from some of the things that you look for in a Christopher Nolan film, <laughs> which is for me, it, they're always a little bit cold. He, he is the closest director we've got working today that has almost a, a, a Kubrick style ethos that runs through his work. And to me, even though Kubrick was, is a, was a brilliant director and a, an, an amazing stylist, an amazing, an amazing director, his films were always slightly cold and Christopher Nolan follows that on for me. Very clinical. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's not to take anything away from, from any of the work that he does, but there is, a, is, there is that, that Kubrick-style clinicalness to his films. But it's, it's a sumptuous-looking film. Uh, some of the key sequences, that you can, you can see that, that this is, as he put it, his Bond film, with a nod to it on Her Majesty's Secret Service with a ski scene. So it works on, as the film and the story does, works on many, many levels. The, this was the film that had, personally for me, his best collaboration with Hans Zimmer as well. Yes, it's the soundtrack album that I that I bought uh, when it came out because I thought it was just fantastic. I know that Dunkirk had a great use of Zimmer, but for me, Inception was the one that really, really has memorable moments. It has movements. It has it has grandiose to the soundtrack that really helped the film along. This, for me, is the last of the great Nolan films. His output since has been good, but always felt lacking. Dark Knight Rises was a bit of a letdown for I the trilogy. Inter for Interstellar, I've got, I've got issues with. Yeah, me too. Um, it's I mean, not as clever as it thinks it is. And Dunkirk was, was a spectacle to watch on screen, and I thoroughly loved it, but it doesn't have a lasting impression on me. Because it liked heart, to, to be honest, I think, yeah. with, it, uh, with Dunkirk. Those are the best... Of his films for me since Inception is Dunkirk. I, 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 I didn't like Dark Knight Rises. I thought it was a confused mess. Uh, again, looked great, but he, what did he actually say? Um, Interstellar, I totally agree with you. Uh, it's, it's not as clever as it thinks it is. And I think Dunkirk is, is a much more honest film. Again, deals with these themes of, of, of nonlinear storytelling. But I, I do like Dunkirk. I've got a very, very special spot for it. But it does, it, it, like most of his films, it likes heart. My favourite film of his is still The Prestige. It's the film that I think um, does have a heart to it, does have a central uh, central emotional feeling to it, and is still very clever in that Christopher Nolan way. Mine is still... It still has to be Memento. Yeah, I can see that. I love the, I love the structure of Memento. I love that the puzzle is pieced together by showing things in reverse. The reveal is jaw-dropping. And even though that, you know, on the DVDs when it came out, there was a hidden option to be able to play things in sequence. Why and you get to see that the, sto the story is actually rubbish. <laughs> uh, but it's not about the story. It's about the manner in which it's presented. And it showcased the talent of a director who wasn't afraid to do something a little different. After that, I'd say Insomnia. I mean, I've got a lot of love for Insomnia. Yeah, you see, I went back and revisited Insomnia and... It works as a, it's almost the pilot to the rest of his career, much more so than the memento for me. I think it's when he started to, to, to paint on a bigger canvas. But um, interesting trivia. Take the first letters of the names of characters from Inception. Dom, Robert, Ames, Arthur, Mal and Santo. And you spell dreams. Who knew that? 
and then throw in Peter, Adrian, and Yusuf, and you've also got pay. Dreams pay, which is the whole movie summed up. So on the spinning top, <laughs> to conclude this one, you can go and see Inception as it's on its 10-year release, just in time to see uh, Tenant, which we'll be reviewing next week. Uh, and looking forward to talking about Tenant. But that has been Inception. I'm really looking forward to seeing what we get from Tenet because we still don't fully know what it's about. And now, I mean, it's some people in the world have seen it. And now it's that little game of like carefully going online and hoping no one spoils anything. I'm, I'm avoiding any reviews for it right now and anything and pre-reading anything because I want to come into it fresh. And as, as you do with any Christopher Nolan film, even if you don't like it, you can sit there and enjoy the spectacle of it because you know he's a, he's a, a filmmaker who always gives 110%. I think it's probably good that New Mutants is out as well over this next week because I don't want to spoil Tenet for people who won't have seen it because America is not going to get it for a couple of weeks. So when it comes to doing our review next week, we're going to be very careful about not spoiling what the story is about and what, you know, any, anything major in there. We want to just talk about, is the film good? Is the film bad? So it might be a very short review. <laughs> so at least we'll have new mutants to fall back on and go, anyway, let's spend a bit of time talking about this film instead. We'll be back with that next week. And that's it for this show. As I said, the spinning top is still spinning. But before we go, uh, Andy and I have this little thing. What have we been watching, enjoying, playing, hearing? What has been your neat thing? over the last week, Andy. So a documentary dropped, documentary series dropped on Netflix over the past week called High Score. And if you have a love for gaming, as I do, then this documentary series is well worth checking out. It starts, it's six episodes, starts in the early days of arcade cabinets and flows through the decades, exploring the influences and styles of games over the evolution of the pastime, as well as speaking with key names from the industry and a few tournament winners from like Street Fighter Championships, etc. A lot of it is already known via other great documentaries or books on the subject, but it sprinkles enough new nuggets of information to make it quite an engaging watch. And the style of it reminded me of Netflix's um, Hip Hop Evolution series, which each episode basically ends by hinting like, but then there was these pioneers of this type of music that came around, and then the next episode focuses on that. Well, this does the same. Each episode finishes like... And then we got like something called Dungeons and Dragons started influencing games in a different way. And the next episode is all about RPGs on games and things like that. Great little show. Well worth checking out if you do like video games and you want to explore the history of them a bit more. Okay, uh, my neat thing for this week is, well, I've been catching up with Umbrella Academy uh, Season 2, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. In fact, more so than I enjoyed Season 1. I've watch this almost every night I'm, as i've said many times on the show i'm not a great binger but uh, I, i've been enjoying uh, umbrella academy season two what i'm really enjoying about it my neat thing is the soundtrack to it what a fantastic soundtrack it must be the best job in the world coming up with <laughs> with a, the playlist for umbrella academy because everything about it is the way that they use the way that you use music to emphasize the scene and certain songs to emphasize the scene uh even though this particular season has been set in 1963 they're still using con contemporary music for it and the way that they have brought music into the show has just been an absolute delight and why it's become my uh, my favorite thing is the way it played off uh 
one of the characters live last night into uh, into a song by the Backstreet Boys. You have to see the show to know what I mean, but Umbrella Academy season two soundtrack has just been fantastic. And I should be finishing that run probably in the next couple of nights. I'm up to uh, episode eight and there's two more to go. So yeah, that's been my neat thing for this week. Fantastic. Okay, so that's it for this week. We'll see you next week with our tenant review. In the meantime, if you're going to perform Inception, you need imagination. Yeah.